and welcome to Free Will with Cardin Podcast. I'm your host, Cardin Wyckoff, wheelchair warrior and disability advocate based in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we share stories from people with various disabilities and help break down barriers for the disability community so that we can build allyship and a more inclusive world. If you like what you hear on the episode today, please rate, review, and follow this podcast and share it with a friend. I'm giving a shout out to my friends at iAccessLife. It's a mobile app that rates and reviews places on the built environment to break down barriers and transparency on the bathrooms, interior, parking, and any time that you go into a new place. You can find the mobile app on Google Play and Apple App Store. Use the referral code CARDEN, my name, C-A-R-D-E-N when signing up. Today's guest is Tom Lennon. Since being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 35, creator and personal trainer Tom Lennon decided that he wasn't going to let his devastating news keep him from reaching his fitness goals. Through his t-shirt company, Tom wanted to send the message that you can still do amazing things, even if you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Working in a local children's hospital already, Tom would see children come in on a daily basis that were newly diagnosed with the disease and who were already living with it. He then decided that he wanted to donate a portion of his t-shirt proceeds to the Children's Diabetes Foundation in hopes of making a difference. I hope you enjoyed the episode today and let me know what you think. You can DM me on Instagram at freewheelingwithcardin. Enjoy. Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for joining the podcast tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Actually, you know, it's funny. I'm usually the one. I'm usually the person that's asking all the questions, and now is this is the first time actually <laughs> being interviewed. So I, I, I'm really thankful for being a guest on your show, and I'm you know I'm looking forward to this tonight. Nice. It's always fun to be on the other seat. I've I've done a few podcasts before where I'm being interviewed, and yeah, it's a weird feeling, no doubt. Yeah. But I think when you have a story that you're really passionate about, you can really, you just, you realize you blink and an hour has gone by and you're like, how did I talk for so long? But when you just, you know a lot about the topic and you're passionate about it, you, it just, it comes from the heart. Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about you tonight and your journey with type 1 diabetes and how you advocate for your community and create that inclusion and belonging. So do you want to... I'll, I'll give you the floor and you can talk all about your journey. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts and my wife is from Georgia. And so when we got married, she got a position back in Georgia. So we moved down south. And then uh, I was looking for jobs. Uh, before I even moved down to Georgia, I started drinking like a lot of water. And this is this is when I was 35, just, tur- just about turning 35 years old, which is not really typical it's usually you'll see diabetes coming around in like, you know, adolescence or younger ages. And so while I was moving, transitioning down to Georgia, I was actually drinking a lot of water, you know, really skinny. My, my parents were like questioning, like, what's going on with you? And then um, finally moved down to Georgia and got a position at a children's hospital in, in the emergency department. And at this time, you know, my wife hasn't seen me for over a month and she, you know, we go to this pool party and she looks at me and says, man, you are really, really skinny. And I, you know, I was, didn't really realize it until like I looked in the mirror and I was like, God, I look like really skinny. Cause typically 
I'm a bigger gentleman. And when I look in the mirror, it's just like, I, I'm just, I don't know what happened to what happened to me. And so when I got hired for the at, uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, I did this pre-employment screening and they have this thing called Strong for Life where you can do blood work. It's, it's optional. You don't have to do it. So it, um, they do the blood work and just see what, you know, may need an improvement or whatnot. And so I was like, sure, let's go. And because I'm always curious and geek out on like, you know, blood work and, you know, fitness and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, why not? It's yeah, free exactly. Screening. Yeah, <laughs> it's free. Yeah, it was free too. So I can't, I can't complain. So when the nurse took the, my blood and got the readings, she was like, hmm. And she looks at me and says, are you feeling okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Like, what's, what's the deal? And then she asked me, you know, what did you have for breakfast? And I was like, two bowls of cereal, like what I typically do. And so she's like, and you are for feeling perfectly fine right now. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And so she checked my blood. She, then she told me my blood sugar was 390, 390 points, which is like ridiculously high for mm-hmm. anybody because the typical range of your normal it's blood like sugar is like 80 to some people say 120 or 130 and that's like the range typical range for a normal person but mine was at like 390 and she's like well this could be just a glitch it could be just the system why don't we why don't you go home and go to cvs and get a glucometer you know they're like 20 bucks and so you know and do a 12-hour fast and see what happens and i was like all right, let, let's try it out. And then she said, uh, reach out to me immediately if it's like still high. And I was like, okay. So I did a 12-hour fast and then I checked my blood sugar and it was 271. It's it's pretty funny. Those two numbers, the 390 and 271, I don't think I'm ever going to forget at all because mm-hmm. it's like, this is when I first started realizing like, man, this I'm going to be, I'm, gonna, I'm a diabetic. And I didn't really put two and two together until... The nurse says, listen, you really need to go to an endocrinologist like like yesterday. And so I went to an endocrinologist, you know, he did my blood work and he told me that, you know, I got the official diagnosis of, you know, hey, you're a type one diabetic now at the age of 35, which I know was insane for me. I never really expected, mm-hmm. you know, this to happen to me. And so now I was pretty much learning how to do shots. They like take insulin and it was just like a whole, whole curveball. Like even my wife was like, didn't know what to do. So. And how did you feel during all of this? I mean, was it scary? Was it like, you're ready to take this on? Um, what was going I, through your mind? Yeah, it was, well, I, I'm the type of guy that like would take everything and like, like screw it, just do it. Just ro- like roll with it. And mm-hmm. I was like shocked that this actually happened to me, but I was like, well, you know, since I have it, I might as well, you know, just go along with it and like just learn how to live live with this because it's going to be there for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And and I was like learning it, trying to learn as much as I can because, you know, my endocrinologist didn't really help me out. And so I was reaching out to, you know, other diabetics on like Instagram or just talking to other people like that I worked at the hospital up in Boston, just asking them questions. And, <laughs> and it's, it's funny. Cause like, just when I first started out, when you take your blood, when you take your blood, you have this like the little thing called the Lancet where it's this little needle that poke punctures through your finger where you can draw the blood and actually get the blood sample to read you, to uh, read what your blood sugar is. 
And so they have a number on the Lancet. And so I thought that was how many times you have to use it. But no, that's oh, no. the amount of pressure that the, that the needle actually gives. So the higher the number, the higher the pressure it is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, I didn't know. I like, and finally, someone told me at work, they're like, hey, that's, that's for like the amount of pressure that puts in like for the needle. And I was like, oh. So it's pretty much like a learning, like a whole learning curve, like the whole time. Cause I just got no information whatsoever. And it's, it's funny because, well, it's not, it's, yeah, it's funny. Cause typically when someone has like a high blood sugar like that, they could go into, you know, diabetic ketoacidosis where, um, you know, they pee out like, you know, your sugar and you can cure ketones and which is very bad. You can be in an ICU I have never had that happen to me or they never sent me to a hospital with that. So they said, just, you know, just try to manage it when you first start, when I first started. So I was, you know, lucky I didn't have to go to an ICU for that for a couple of days. Right. Yeah. And thinking about where you came up with that and where you learned that attitude of just roll with it. Is that something that was taught to you? Is that something that you were surrounded by your peers? I don't think that's an attitude that's generally just acquired or innate, and, or native. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm pretty laid back, and my wife kind of doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, but it's like I don't I don't know. It's just my dad does the same thing too, so I probably got it from mm-hmm. him. You know, he's just like, all right, well, let's let's go and do it. So yeah, I think it was you know kind of with genetics, but I. I always want to learn something new or do something new. So I was like, you know, and I also read a book from uh, Richard Branson called Screw It, Just Do It. So that was another book that, you know, helped me out with that too. It's just like he was had all, all these things that are going on and he almost said no to most of it, but then he said, screw it, just did it, do it. And then something good happened out of it. So Nice. So you're connecting with other diabetics and having the help from those at your work. When did you kind of make that connection to want to continue to spread that knowledge and awareness into what you do today? Um, so a great, great question. So when I was working at CHOA in the emergency room, we had we would always have like maybe once a week or once every other week, a new onset of di- a new diabetic that came into the emergency room, which was like a child. It could be ranging from like five to 18 or, or whatever. So what I would do is I would walk into the room and just, you know, say who I am and say that I'm a diabetic and just tell them my story and tell them like what I'm going, what I go through and what they may go through. But granted, like, you know, I was 35 when I got diagnosed. Like some of these kids are going to be dealing with diabetes a lot longer than I have. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with, with them growing up in puberty, it jacks up your sugars. But, you know, I was just trying to do um, help out as much as I can to let them know that everything's going to be okay. And you, they have a big supporting cast at Shoa, and, you know, they're very helpful there. And so one day, there was this uh, lady crying like outside of her room. And I thought like she, it, it looked like her daughter, her daughter was dying. And so the way, the way she was crying and everything. So I went up to the nurse and I was like, what, Hey, what's the deal with uh, this, this room over here? And so they said, Oh, she's a new, she's, she's a new diabetic. Now her blood sugar was in like the seven hundreds. And oh. I was like, Whoa. Okay. So 
I always typically go into new new diabetics rooms and just say, you know, just yell out like, hey, welcome to the club, you know, just try to like cheer, <laughs> cheer them up a little bit because, you know, obviously like, you know, just finding out you're, you're a diabetic can be scary and you, you don't know what's going on and it's super stressful. There's a lot of things going around in your head and especially with the parents too as well. And so I walked into the five-year-old and I was like, hey, welcome to the club. And she wanted like nothing to do with me. She was mm-hmm. more focused with drinking water, which you're not, which they didn't want one or two. And so when I said it, the, the mom looks at me and like, and, and is looking at me like, the hell's wrong with you? And so, <laughs> and so I pretty much told her like, hey, I, I'm a type one diabetic as well. And told my story and mm-hmm. said that, you know, you're going to a floor where you're going to get so much help and and you're going to learn a lot, but it's a, it's a lot to take in, but everyone's super helpful with you and they'll make sure you know what you're doing with your child with diabetes. And and I said, listen, you know, if you want to ask me any questions or whatnot, feel free just to have the nurse reach out to me and I'll come back in and, you know, we'll talk a little bit more, but I'm definitely going to be transferring helping you transfer your daughter upstairs to the ICU. So just to kind of like calm, calm me down a little bit and relax you a little bit. And so when I did that, you know, I, I reassured her again saying, Hey, listen, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to be fine. You have the great staff here and they're going to help you out to the best of your ability. And she gave me a nice big hug crying, saying thank you and stuff like that. And after that day, I felt like I needed to do a little bit more than going to people, going to, into like patients' rooms and, you know, that are new diabetics and saying, you know, and just talking about my story. And so I'm a big like fitness buff. Like I'm a, I'm a personal trainer and I like working out. I like wearing t-shirts. I don't really like wearing any like fancy shirts or anything. It's just, just like t-shirts. And so <laughs> I was like, well, why don't I actually make a t-shirt company that donates to a diabetes charity and make that a little bit, you know, maybe that will help out and see what happens. And so I started this t-shirt company called Type 1 Lifting and proceeds of the shirts go to the Children's Diabetes Foundation, which is, they're based in Denver. And uh, it originally started in 1977. And I, it's funny because like my wife and I, when we started the t-shirt company, I the main focus was just to donate to a diabetes charity. And so I didn't know about the JDRF, like no clue when I first started. And so my wife and I, like, you know, Google searched diabetes charities. And, you know, this one, pretty much Children's Diabetes Foundation was the first one. I was like, okay, I want, I want to do that one. And so, and the staff there has been like super helpful. I emailed them. But originally, actually, I emailed Shoah because they were the first people that find the to find that I was a type one diabetic. And I, I emailed the donations department and got no response back. And so then that then that's when I started to get into the Children's Diabetes Foundation. Hmm. What a, a great story of just reassurance and empathy and spreading the knowledge that and your own personal story with others so that they can feel a part of something, right? Being diagnosed and and it's kind of similar with me. So I was diagnosed and have muscular dystrophy mm-hmm. when I was eight, nine-ish. Yep. And I showed symptoms very early on when I was about four. 
But my mom and dad knew there was kind of something wrong with me. And I just remember receiving that news. I didn't really, it didn't really click in my head until later when puberty hit. And that's when walking started getting more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. And then the progression just continued to, to go on um, to now using a full time wheelchair. And with that, I just, I remember what it was like to feel very isolated and alone. And to know that there's that network. And I remember the first person that I reached out to that I connected with, they were about 15 years older than I was. But it was Mm -hmm. the first person that was able to just say, Hey, I have the same condition that you have. I understand what you're going through. It may be a little bit different. I had it, you know, I had it very early on. They had it a little Mm -hmm. bit later on. Yeah. But just knowing that there was that support was so important. And it's really cool to hear what you're doing with the t-shirt company. And do you still do you work at the hospital sharing, like going into the different ER rooms? No, I, w- or, I would love no. to. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, like I, I stopped. Uh, I, so I was a orthopedic technician slash like nursing assistant. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told myself a very, very long time ago, when I hit 40, I don't want to be a nursing assistant. And so I not nothing against being a nursing assistant. I just don't feel like there wasn't really room to grow. And going back to mm-hmm. nursing school was wasn't really an option because I you know I have a I have like you know I had a, a two year old soon to be three year old and another one on the way. So there was no no chance for me to go back to school. So I was like mm-hmm. I may I, I definitely need to start doing something different. So. Yeah, no doubt. Especially when you got little kiddos, it's hard to go back to school to do that. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit more about the Children's Diabetes Foundation. What are they up to? So they they have like clinical and educational programs with people with like, you know, diabetes. And their main mission is to raise funds to support the Barbara Davis Center for Diabetes. And uh, where they, you know, they see, they're based in Denver. So they'll see like thousands of patients from all ages and all over the world. And their main focus is just to give people the finest like diabetes care available that they can. And so when I reached out to them, they, you know, like I said before, they are were like super grateful and they were like open arms. They're like, yeah, come on in. Like, you know, we'll, we could definitely work something out together. And we, I've been with them for, I, geez, like three and a half years. And they're really supportive with me. And like, I help them out in any way. Like, like each year they have me, help them out with their fitness month, uh, the fitness magazine for the month, like their, uh, the bi-monthly, you know, magazine that they have. They, mm-hmm. I do like a, like a write-up about, you know, my story and what I've done and help them out. I've been in a couple of their blogs. So, you know, they're, they're awesome. I love to hear that, especially when you're taking your own passions that you have with lifting and then putting it back to benefit the whole mission. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, and another thing is, like, uh, mm-hmm. when I started the t-shirt company, I, I also wanted to show people that you know, even though I have this really crappy disease, diabetics can still do amazing things. Even though, you know, there's sometimes where I have high blood sugar and I can't work out, or I get low blood sugar, can't work out, and I have to like sit there and wait for my you know blood sugar to come back up. So, I mean, it's it can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you have those limitations. Uh, One thing that I always really like to ask people is when we're thinking about the corporate environment, 
how can, or I mean, it doesn't have to be the corporate, it can be really any company or any business. How can businesses be more understanding and empathetic of those that have pre-existing conditions, disabilities, however you want to frame it? What would be some things that you would suggest to say an employer for your condition? So I, right now, I still do the personal training stuff. And so when I was working at a gym at, uh, they knew right off the bat that I was a diabetic because I would, you know, I, I told them, I was like, hey, you know, I'm a diabetic. I've told all my clients. And the personal training gym was, you know, super helpful. And they were like, listen, if you need anything, let us know. If you get low, you know, we'll ha- we have like, you know, supplies for you just in case if you need it. And, you know, if my clients, if I told my clients like, hey, listen, you know, I have low blood sugar right now. I, I can't really train you to like right now for like the half an hour. I need to sit down and like eat something so I get raise my blood sugar up a little bit. I mean, everyone was okay with my disability. And even even the uh, full-time office job, I'm, I'm a recruiter too. So, you know, there I've told them right off the bat, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm a diabetic. I believe there's there's one more. There used to be one more other diabetic, but he never really talked about it. But I just mm-hmm. want I told him I'm like, listen, you know, if this happens or this happens, just you know, know that I I need help or I need something. And you know, and all my coworkers that started at the same time with me, they're they'll help me out if I need anything. If like I need to go, they need to go to the cafeteria to get like brownie or something just to you know spike my blood sugar up or. If I need to lower my blood sugar, just go out for a walk. If they'll come walk with me, just you know, talk to me, or just anything to make it a little bit better for for me. Got it. So just to clarify, so when it gets low, having to eat something with sugar, is there anything in particular that does really well to get it back up really quickly, or is it really like any like cookie or brownie or anything with high dense sugar would be fine? Yeah, I mean, I I have a like I usually have like a pack of Smarties with me once okay, in a while. Nice. <laughs> um, but my my go to snack if I'm low is usually like a peanut butter sandwich. So I mean, it's it's okay. easy to make and it's right there. But if I'm like by myself and there's like nothing around, I usually like eat some Smarties or I have like Sour <laughs> Patch Kids or oh nice uh, or uh, <laughs> the the best one is I have actually have like uh, cake frosting at my in my door. So just in case if I get low, I start like slamming that down and. You know, it'll take me like a couple of minutes to get my blood sugar up. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Hey, you got to be prepared. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, having snacks around it sounds like it's really key. And whether or not you carry those or not um, would be helpful in the time of crisis that others can chime in and help out when needed. How do you alert people when it's getting... So low or too high, where you basically are non-function, almost non-functioning. Is that has it ever gotten that extreme? No, I knock on wood. I haven't had that That's happen good. to me. Haven't like the highest I've been was six hundred, and that was on vacation. Oh, I woke wow. up and I had like a piece of cheesecake or something like that, and you know I didn't dose my insulin properly, as you know the number says. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, listen, I told my wife, I'm like, I, I got to stay here and just take some insulin and just see what like, you know, when it'll go down. And then finally it decided to go down like after I'd say like two hours. So, cause you can't like, you can't take a lot of insulin all at once. Well, for me, I, I don't take a lot of insulin all at once. 
because once you do that, you start bottoming out and it's just like not good. And it's better just kind of doing a steady, steady rate going down. Mm, got it. Got it. And then for so pumping insulin and then you said going for a walk. Yeah. So usually typically walks for me kind of help me lower my blood sugar a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I can get high blood sugar just from like lack of sleep, uh, mm-hmm. you know, stressful situations, pretty much anything really. I mean, it's it's crazy because like you think you'd be, you know, you're feeling good, you slept good, nothing's wrong with you. Then all of a sudden you your blood sugar spikes up or, you know, right before you go to bed, you know, you're your hormones start kicking in and then because they, they want you want the hormones want you to sleep, but you're not ready yet. And so it'll like spike your blood sugar up too for that. And it, it's mm-hmm. yeah, and even the dawn effect too, where your body around like I think it's like four to five, it's trying to wake up a little bit so the hormones start kicking in. That's when you some people, a lot of diabetics see the um uh you know, blood sugar spike in that too as well. Four to five in the morning, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, got it. And that's usually like, would you, you would wake up because of that? No, I mean, you, you some people might, uh, but I have like a continuous glucometer on me where okay. um, if it hits a certain number, they would, the alarm will start going off. Got it, got it. Okay. So yeah, it, I, it's called a Dexcom. And so it's... Uh, you're supposed to put it on the, either on the back of your arm or your, like, your side abdominal like your mm-hmm. obliques. But for me in working out, it that's not really the best option for those two spots. Cause one with the obliques, I wear a weight belt, so I don't want it to like tear off. And then in the back of my arm, I'm like really clumsy. Sometimes I, I like to nick my arm, you know, you know, on the side <laughs> of the wall. So I'm like, man, I can't put it there. So actually one of my, um, one of the people I interviewed for my podcast, she's, she does Olympic weightlifting and she puts it right on her glute muscle. And so I was like, oh, uh, all right, I'll, I'll try it out. And so I've been doing that ever since. And, you know, just switching sides, like every 10 days, I have to switch out my uh, my sensor. And so nice. I just go from one side to the other and it works works fine. I mean, it's it's annoying because my meter went like I, if the alarm starts going off when I hit over when I get over 200. And so for me lately, my. You know, I take insulin and it still doesn't go down. So I have to constantly take insulin. And so for like an hour or even longer, it would, you know, it takes a while for it to drop a little bit. And so the alarm would go off like every 15 minutes and it's like super annoying, even when I'm sleeping too. So, you know, it would go off. And so I had to take insulin and then, then I lose the quality sleep that I need. And then that makes my blood sugar just go up again. So sometimes I have to like shut off the, the monitor because it's just like, it's not worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a friend in high school and and in college who always I felt like was changing the type of monitor that she had. Mm-hmm. And is that a common thing where you're just trying out a bunch of different monitors to see which one works for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. it, it was funny. Last year, my wife bought me a uh, t- continuous glucometer off of eBay. And just to try it, it's called the Freestyle Libre. It's like this little... So if anybody sees it, it's like a little white disc that goes on like the back of someone's arm and they have like a sensor on their phone or like a, or like a little monitor that they scan over their arm and it tells you what your blood sugar is. And so I, I tried it and I wasn't really a big fan of it because I would constantly, 
you know, scan my arm like every five minutes mm-hmm. and it would still be like reading high and I would take more insulin and then I bought them out. And, and if you look at the, if you look at the ranges, it looked like a roller coaster it would go like really high up because I had to take, you know, eat food just to get my blood sugar up. And then, you know, realizing it's getting high again, then take insulin and it would just go straight down again. And it was, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. And so I had the chance to try this uh, Dexcom, uh, Dexcom G6. And I was like, okay, I have to remember that I can't be focused on the screen all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and like, and just don't, don't slam insulin right off the bat. Just kind of ease your way into it and it'll slowly go down. Because obviously, because with these continuous glucometers, they actually are injected into your, to your muscle. And a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other glucometers, they, they prick your finger and that's like capillary blood. And so it's a lot quicker response or a lot quicker reading, just pricking your finger compared to having a piece of copper wire in your, in your muscle with like a reading. So it's like a 15 minute delay on it. But the good thing with these are you don't have to prick your finger like 10 times a day. It's just right. in there and just you just look at your phone or look at a monitor and it just says, hey, okay, this is what your blood sugar is. That's so nice. I'm sure the convenience factor of not having to prick your finger all the time, especially yep. multiple times a day yeah. for checking and checking and checking. So is that generally the most reliable way of doing it? What do you feel? Uh, yeah, well, usually pricking your fingers are the most is most reliable because sometimes towards the end of a ten day span, where like the um, the sensor, you have to switch it out. So for me, what I've noticed the like the last day, there would be like an hour gap where like the re- it wouldn't read anything because I guess oh, the copper dangerous. wire, yeah, and so. And so there were times like I would switch it out and like I'd have to wait an hour. And so I'd have to prick my finger just to calibrate it or, you know, just to see what or where I actually am instead of looking at the monitor. Mm-hmm. Got it. You're saying that there's a copper wire in there. So does that mean that it's magnetic in that if you get too close to no. magnets, it can... Okay. No, it's not, it's not like that. It just, I guess, I guess the copper wire just is a lot better. It's a better like conduit for like all the readings and it absorbs like I, I don't i i don't really know the scientific stuff to it okay. i wish i wish i did I, sh- I should know got it got it this is so interesting to learn about your story and the different devices that you've used the glucometers and how they impact you and so having to you said the the copper wire ones you have to switch those out every 10 days because you have to change the sensor because it yeah. goes bad or something. Yeah, so okay. there's like a harness. So with the Dexcom, it, it's like a piece of like, it's like a battery. So it's, it's like mm-hmm. this little gray battery. And then you have this piece of tape with this like plastic harness that you have to insert this battery in. And so that's in the where the harness is, that's where the, the, the uh, copper wire is. And so what they do is you connect the battery and so it, it's a Bluetooth wireless like device that goes right to your phone. You just like snap it on. And um, I usually, the, the piece of tape that goes around the harness, it's not the best tape. So I actually have like an extra, um, I bought it off of Amazon. It's like a piece of like waterproof tape that goes around the sensor just to get a more, you know, 
the sensor be more secure on, you know, my glute muscle or your arm. So like, just in case if you nick something or, you know, you sit down wrong, you know, it won't fall off or anything. Nice. Technology has come such a far way. Yeah, it's crazy. A far and long way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even, even insulin pumps have come a long way too. So I, Mm. my wife, my wife wants me to get on the insulin pump. I'm kind of a little hesitant on it, but you know, I'm willing to try it, but just like, you know, I'm, I've been so used to pens and it's, you know, a certain price compared to getting a pump, which is an extra, it could be like an extra thousand dollars. And then the attachments and like all the insulin, that's like an extra cost for that too, as well, including the, you know, con- continuous glucometer. So insurance doesn't pay for everything, maybe for some people, but it didn't, it didn't do it for me. So I'd have to pay, I have to pay like a, like $300 for like three months. And that's not including my insulin, which is like, I had to take two different insulins, like one for quick acting, which is using my wake up and eat something. And then I have one for long, uh, like a longer lasting one when I go to sleep. And so, mm-hmm. you know, those aren't cheap either. So just mm-hmm. like, it's, it's very, it's, you know, that, that's another issue is just like, like you have to pay for this money for me to live, but it's stressful on like the whole family's, you know, cause I only make this amount of money and we need to, you know, I need to figure out a way to pay for all this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that could be another suggestion for companies is looking at insurance plans. I mean, are there any insurance plans that you've seen that cover a good percentage of this? That could be uh, a benefit. Yeah. I mean, I with when I was working at CHOA, uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, like their insurance is great because it's a hospital and usually hospital insurances are, are a lot better than anybody else because there's like more people. And obviously the more people you have with the insurance company, the less like the cheaper it's going to be. And so like I would get like, I think it was like a hundred bucks for like a three boxes of five pens in each box. And it was like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. And now I'm getting <laughs> two boxes for like a hundred, like for like 150. And it's just like, you know, it just depends on what you have for insurance, really. Right. But um, they, I know, I know most of the diabetic supply companies. I think they do like a payment plan, so they just go by like you know how much you make or what you you know how much you make and you know what can you pay for, and they kind of like help you out with that. It's almost like you know college loans, They're like saying like, hey, I can't afford this, so okay, let's let's try to make it that you can like you know do monthly payments. Right. Well, that's smart that they have that because, yeah, not everyone can just drop hundreds and thousands of dollars to buy a good number of stock supplies to have yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, there was one. There was one part one time, like last year, I think it was like January, when like my insurance kind of rolled over a little bit, and so it was like back to like zero for my deduct for my like uh, my deductibles. It's, and so I I needed insulin, and so I was I called the I called the like CVS in Publix. And I was like, Hey, you know, how much would it be if I get a three month supply of insulin? And they're like $1,300. Oh, and I was like, my gosh, what? That's and insane. so I was like stressing out like the whole time. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't pay that. And so I was like looking at other options and I was like super stressed out. But luckily my wife has this medication that she takes that uh, within like two whatever, like once per month, like she gets it and she's already hit her hit. She already hits her deductible like by February. 
So wow, okay. that, yeah, I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's nice to have that because not everyone does. No. No. One I thing that I'm curious about is how does how did COVID affect you with accessing the resources that you need to survive? You know, like insulin uh, and all your pumps and lancets well, like, and stuff. Yeah, well, I got this. I got the continuous glucometer like during the during uh, COVID. So just to mm-hmm. you know try it out, and you know I'm not. I'm we're actually working from home right now because obviously there's not really. I don't really think there's much science behind you know diabetics and COVID. So I don't really want to test the waters of going back to work because we already had like two scares already, and I'm like I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. It's you know I don't want to get it and then all of a sudden like something really bad happens to me and like you know mm-hmm. just just you know ruins me because I'm a diabetic so it's like it's not worth it so I I you know told work I'm like hey I need, I need to work from home because of this and they completely understand and they're they were super helpful about that too so you know and even going out I kind of I mean I do go to the gym but you know I try to stay away from like a lot of the people and I make sure I clean everything, like anything that I'm going to be touching, like just, you know, wipe it down. And, mm-hmm. and like, but I really don't go to the gym, to that gym that often. I'm, I pretty much have a whole gym in my basement. So I just kind of work out down here and I try not to, you know, I mean, I would like to go out as more as like, I would like to go out more, but it's not worth it. So right. I kind of pick and choose my battles when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same with me. I've tried to stay pretty low-key in terms of just staying in my house as much as possible. And then if I do go out, it's usually outside, like at Mm -hmm. the park or something and not around people. Yeah. (laughs) Staying far away. Um, Yeah. So so. so have you picked up a new new hobby at all when you were doing that during COVID? So what's interesting is I launched the podcast before COVID Mm -hmm. and it just was perfect because... That became a great hobby. (laughs) Being able to really spend a lot of time on it and learning about audio engineering and all kinds of production and sound equipment and all kinds of stuff. So I've definitely learned a lot. So it just happened to be the perfect timing to launch it and then the world shut down. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's that's pretty much with me. I I started podcasting in January and my my podcast is type the, the Type 1 Lifting Podcast. And or you just mm-hmm. say type one lifting podcast. And I started in like I said before January, and yeah, like that's this is my like that's my new hobby. I love doing right. podcasts. I lo- I've I've been listening to podcasts for you know like six seven years. So before it was like really like big, and I pretty much when I started this uh, the type one lifting podcast, I was originally supposed to do it with two other guys from the gym. And mm-hmm. it was going to be called like the CPB um, podcast, like competitive fitness, powerlifting, and bodybuilding podcast. But you know, it was it's hard because during COVID, or but even before, like before that, like trying to schedule times for all three of us to meet at once, it's like it's impossible. So, so I would <laughs> pretty much did the screw it, just do it, and you know, I <laughs> I had this uh, this one girl that I was I used. Both of us follow each other. She's a type one diabetic and she does Olympic weightlifting. Uh, not the one that with the uh, glucometer, but uh, another one. She was actually doing a weightlifting competition in Georgia, and it was like a half hour away from where I live. And I was like, "Oh, well, you know, 
How great. Yeah. Uh, like my, my kids, my wife were away on vacation because I just started a new, new position. So I didn't have the vacation time yet. And so I was like sitting at home doing nothing. And I already had like the, you know, the lapel mics and the, you know, app on my phone, which I use. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And so I was just drove down there, watched her Olympic weightlifting competition. And then I went up to her and like congratulated her. And I was like, Hey, you want to go to like Panera Bread and do a podcast with me? so she's like uh and like this is like Uh, what (laughs) yeah this is like the first time we actually met in person and so and so like i was like yeah she's like yeah sure so i like we drove to panera bread you know i i got everything set up and like both of us were super nervous because i didn't know what the heck i was what i was doing and you know i didn't really know like the uh the app on my phone how it works that well and so we're like kind of you know going about just talking about diabetes and like weightlifting and stuff like that. And, you know, and it works. And then, you know, I've met so many other diabetics from podcasting, just meeting new people, including yourself. So nice. Yeah. And that, that first podcast I ever did still uh, is still is on the top five of most downloaded, downloaded podcasts that I have. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. It's insane. Huge success. Yeah. I love having the podcast. I just meet so many new people and people from all different journeys and walks of life. And I love just listening to people's story and taking their vision for what the world should look like and is and trying to adapt that and mold that into my life. So I think it's really cool. And then you just share these connections with people. And one thing that I really, what I started doing, is like a popcorn method, which I'll actually have you do. So okay. once I finish interviewing you, then I'll ask you to share an, a friend or someone else who has a disability and I interview them. So it's like this chain of people that knows other people who knows other people. So mm. Okay. I've never, I've never done that before. I pretty much, for me, I'll like just reach out to people like through uh, Instagram DM or something like that. Yeah, do a lot of that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was difficult in the beginning because it was like, hey, I've literally had two episodes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I swear I'm legit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then once you (laughs) build the base, it Yeah, well, you know what's funny? What I've noticed is, you know, a lot of people want to talk about themselves. Oh, totally. Yeah, and so... Love talking about themselves. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So... (laughs) That's how like I reach out to people. I'm like, hey, I'm like, the, pretty much like the show is about like pimping your brand and what you are. And so <laughs> they're like all about it. And so you know, and I met like, and I still talk to like the major, like pretty much all of the people I've I've interviewed. So it's awesome. I mean, even like I interview like non diabetics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but pretty much like my whole podcast is like fitness related. So. I'll interview like bodybuilders. I'll interview powerlifters. I'll interview like CrossFitters, like either non-diabetic or diabetic, and just kind of, you know, what like listen to their story. And then I'll have like another episode mm-hmm. during the week about like news in the fitness world, or in like including my diabetes, like week in diabetes, kind of re- in review and just talk about nice. like you know what's going on with me, and just hopefully someone you know listens to one of them and just get to spark and you know does something because mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a lot of diabetics that do do not take good care of themselves and i've seen it firsthand working at 
working at Choa, mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's sad. And even even like before I was working at Choa, I met a lot of diabetics that were like had missing feet because you know they get neuropathy and they just their their diabetes is not well managed and they just start losing yeah. you know circulation. Their foot starts dying off or their fingers start dying off, and it's you know it's sad. So oh, it's so sad. Yeah, and and I've one of the. One of the patients I had, he was, I believe, was like in his twenties, and so he became a type one diabetic, I believe, when he was, I think, seventeen-ish, and he was like really, really overweight, and so he realized that, oh wait, I can get high blood sugar and just pee out my weight and just like you know just urinate like because like when you get high blood sugar, you typically go to the bathroom a lot. Okay. Like every, like for me, when I was diagnosed, it was like almost, you know, four or five times a night. And yeah. so the, so what he would do, what the people would do is, and that's how you lose the weight. Cause you just like peeing out like muscle and like all your sugars and all that stuff and ketones. And, um, right. And so like this kid would go on like binges with like drinking a whole bottle, bottle of Mountain Dew and not taking insulin for like two days. And just like, oh that's gosh. his way of losing weight. And there's other people like that have like diabetic anorexia. So they make themselves get high blood sugar so they can throw up. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it's this, I've, I've heard, I've actually, I follow, I follow one person that used to do that. They don't do it anymore. But, uh, but like with the guy, the kid that, uh, the kid that I talked to at the hospital where he would just like try to lose weight. I told him like, dude, you gotta, you gotta kill yourself like real quick. Mm-hmm. Because you're trying to, I understand you're trying to lose weight, but that this is not the way to do it. Yeah, they try and to it, take advantage of something to try and make something out of it, and that's just not a healthy way of managing your weight or just your organs. It's mm-hmm. really bad for anyone to do that, diabetic yeah. or not. It's just yeah, just yeah, totally and your kidneys idea. can go. Your kidneys can go like real quick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then you're gonna have to get on like blood pressure medication just so you can get your kidney fu- kidney functions going. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's it's like a big big mess, and you know it's it's sad to like you know usually people when they realize like they did something wrong, it's like when it's it's too late. Yeah. So and one like, thing that I think about is the stimulus checks that are coming out. And to hear that in the beginning, it was you know only going to be six hundred dollars, and then now there's they're trying to get that up to two thousand dollars. And I saw on one of the representatives' Twitter was, "What would six hundred dollars or what would two thousand dollars give you?" Can you kind of put that into frame of reference in in diabetes world? Yeah, I mean, so if if I didn't have if I didn't have insurance, right? Yeah, so like I said before with the insulin, it'd be like $1,300 just for like 10 pens, which would probably last me maybe, I don't know, two months maybe, just depending on what I eat. So maybe, maybe a month and a half, just, yeah, probably a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's not including my long-lasting insulin. That'd probably be like another grand. Um, My diabetes supplies would actually... I. Uh, with the continuous glucometer, the Dex, the Dexcom, I I asked them before without insurance, it was going to be like two thousand dollars for like a three month. For three months, wow. yeah, and it's and it's insane. Like the 
the drug prices for insulin has gone up like astronomically. So from like 10 years ago, I believe, I believe a vial of insulin was $30. And now from like 10 years or 11 years now, it's up to 300. Is there any reason for that? It's manufactured synthetically, right? Yeah. Now? Yeah. Okay. So there's actually Walmart sells another vial, which is like, I think a human insulin or something like that. It's, it's weird, but like, the um, it doesn't really work well, and some people have died off of it because it's like a it, it, all you do is pay twenty five bucks for this vial of insulin, and it's not really it's just like it's not synthetic, and it's not like really quick acting. You really don't know like when your your blood sugar is going to drop or whatnot. So it's like it sounds like an ethical issue. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and it's crazy because like they um, I saw this episode I, I it was on like ABC or something like that where. There's a girl that's like really well known in the in the diabetes space on social media. She mm. and like a bunch of other people went across the border to Tijuana and mm. pretty much got their insulin for like the whole year. And they paid probably like a fraction of what they would actually pay for. Like so I think they spent all together like eight grand or probably yeah, something like that for like a whole year supply. And that would cost them like I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars like across mm. the border. Wow. Yeah. So smuggling in insulin and other supplies. Yeah. It sounds like it's a, it should be, uh, yeah, it should be illegal, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, why do you have to go to another country? It's kind of, I guess it's just in terms of health regulations and how pharmaceutical companies, the, the cost that they put on and the price stamp that they put on. Yeah. Whatever, you know, supplies. I did want. I did see something online. The reason why the drug prices are so high. I don't quote me on this. I. I it was a long time ago <laughs> when I saw this. So, I believe the reason why is they have the drug manufacturer do the drugs and they do like the you know the trials. And once they get passed through, there's a middleman or middle group of people that you know approve. Like do, it's like another approval or whatnot, and then it goes to a third group. And so that's why it's so expensive. It's pretty much that middle person. That's the, the reason why like the drug prices are so high. Mm. And plus, you know, di- diabetes medicines is so expensive. Why would they want to make it cheaper? Because you know we're we're one of like the biggest biggest like, costs for them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Rate, big, yeah, like you said, biggest re- biggest revenue stream mm-hmm. that like most of these drug companies have. And so why would they want to? you know, lose us if they want to drop the prices, you know? Right. Kind of similar with thinking about, you know, the COVID vaccine coming out and those mm-hmm. two companies and they're making it free. And it's like, it it took millions of dollars to make these vaccines and to think that they're being free. It's, you know, how how are how are these companies getting paid for? And through other other revenue streams and stuff, things like <laughs> having people pay thousands and thousands of dollars every month on insulin and, and other things. So it's, it's yeah. interesting to see the, just that dynamic of, you know, you get some things, but other things are astronomically high, but are mm-hmm. essential for living. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think the, I think the operation warp speed kind of helped out where like the government paid like millions and billions of dollars just mm-hmm. to, you know, get this thing going. So, I mean, which right. is, which is good. I, I don't really like get political, but I mean, I think that was a good idea. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to take the vaccination, you know, cause I don't know what it does with diabetics. So. 
Uh, that's a good that's a good thought and a concern. I I haven't finished reading the entire report, but because I I wanted to know, and I had some friends ask me who also have muscular dystrophy. They're just like you know, has it been tested on muscular dystrophy patients because the types of treatments that they're coming out for my type of MD are mRNA-based drugs. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's um, It'll be interesting to if there's any information on that or if you just kind of have to wait and see and let those others that want to be brave and take it first, see what happens. But you're not yeah. going to know the long-term effects until you know probably years later. Well, so. yeah. Yeah, I actually have I actually have a friend of mine. He he works at a a local hospital like where I live, and so I was like, "Oh, did you get the did you get the vaccine?" And he's a nurse, and he's like, "No," and he's like, "I'm like, wait, isn't it mandatory?" And he's like, "No, it's not FDA approved yet, so or they, it's not approved by like some company, so you, it's not mandatory." And I was like, oh. "Oh," and it's like, so if it was mandatory and someone got like really really sick or something happened to him. Like they they can sue like the hospital because it's, it was mandatory, but since it's not like oh, since since it's not approved for something that that people don't have to take it. Wow, I don't know. It's, I've just been seeing lots of Instagram posts of oh, yeah. my doctor friends yeah. and nurses, like because I wasn't I was pre med in college, so and I did not go pre med. I I work in tech, but seeing all of my my friends from college, they're all getting their shots. And I'm like, yay, that's so exciting. I haven't yeah. heard anyone not want to get it. So Yeah. It's it's interesting. I, I yeah, like like you said, I'm I'm looking to see, you know, what it does for people with diabetes or, you know, your right. disability and to see how, how it really happens, how it really works. So a lot of unknowns. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of just have to trust the the all of the clinicians and the scientists and everyone that's creating it. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and learning all about your story of strength and just talking about different kinds of accommodations and how COVID has impacted you and what the cost of all of the materials that you need. It's just been really awesome to learn more about it. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. No, I listen, I like I said before, like this is my first per- time I've been interviewed for a podcast. So I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to be on your podcast and, and tell tell my story. And you know, I'm, I'm glad I actually reached out to you, especially from that podcast email that I usually get. And I saw your your podcast, and I was like, oh, that'd be a great person to talk to, especially you know with with your disability. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, I reached out and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. So I got to meet someone new. Right. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Bye, Tom. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text CART at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.